All right, everybody. So we are back for, I guess this is our third Q&A or it's like third Q&A or sixth Q&A, depending on since we're breaking up into <laughs> our channels. So I, basically the way we're doing it is if you send me a question, we'll answer it on my channel. If you send Abel a question, we'll answer it on his channel. Um, you know, for the most part, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some overlap. So welcome, Abel, back again. Thank you. Good to be back. Um, for those who don't know, Abel's been packing on the size. Well, you're cutting now, but you have gotten to the same leanness, you think, uh, at about two kilograms higher, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say that. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell, but I was trying to look back at my old uh, like weight logs because I have everything like two years back at least. And um, I was looking at my leanness last or in 2019 like july ish or something mm -hmm. and i would say that um yeah the similar level of leanness i was maybe like two kilos lighter and um but but it's funny because n n like not long before that i would say i was actually close to where i am now i was just like a li little bit fatter but not by that crazy much and then I think so it's two kilograms more. And I would say at least 50%, maybe even 60, even 70% of that is that I just retained more lean mass. And then, gotcha. but, but I do think I made some legitimate progress. Like I even thought that while I was heavier. Um, do you think that's largely from the extra leg training you've been doing? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really weird because like in some poses I can, like, I, it, it seems to me that I'm definitely bigger, mm -hmm. but then in some other poses, it's, it's like, I can see no difference whatsoever. Like, uh, from the back, yeah. I, I, like there is zero difference. I would say, <laughs> I, I would say that I looked just as good in 2017. <laughs> so like four years ago, uh, from the front, I definitely see, a considerable difference but like really weirdly that's mainly down to my arms somehow which is extra odd because they are not any bigger than they were five years ago but they yeah still like that look... picture you posted of like the bloating and then you know after that yeah. after picture is probably the most impressive picture i've seen of you so i mean and the, your arms look pretty crazy the, bl there. the bloating one <laughs> or, or the the, the non-bloating the non-bloated yeah. one well yeah. So that was, but that was like right after a workout and I was, yeah. I could feel that I was like crazy pumped up. So that yeah. was, that was gratifying from that angle. But honestly, like the, the most that I can see is like this, mm -hmm. like double bicep angle. And, um, I, I, I look back on previous pictures in that same pose and I'm like, man, like my arms look so much better. So sometimes I even like double check it. Like I will measure it again. Like, yeah. Did they really not grow? <laughs> and like, no, God, I, but, and I even have the same measuring tape. I had this measuring tape for like four or five years. So even that's right. standardized. So I was actually talking about this with a client yesterday who was asking me about like, yeah, my arms haven't grown in a long time. Like, do you think there is a way to bring them up? And I was like, well, it would be a bit like hypocritical of me to say like, yeah, yeah this is how you pack on a bunch of arm size. Cause I didn't do it, but then I told him like, but your arms can still look much better. Um, but I don't know what does it like, is it like yeah. maybe it grows in width, <laughs> but well, not in like peak. I don't know. I'll tell you the, I always reference like between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I put on like eight pounds of muscle 
And I was like, my deadlifts went up a ton, my squats and everything went up a ton, but my arms were like, I literally gained eight pounds at the same lean as like same waistline. My arms were like the same. And then the next two years, when I dieted back down, I kind of was stalled out and like, I wasn't making progress, but my arms went up like a quarter inch each time. So it was kind of weird. I, you know, it's kind of hard to explain. Even now I, I almost feel like I've like the opposite of recomped, like a decomp where like my waistline is a little bit bigger, but like my arms are exactly the same size at the same weight and my strength's identical. So sometimes it doesn't, you know, I, I think it's good to have the measurements, but sometimes it's not, you know, it doesn't tell you everything. Yeah. And, and, and then, like you said, I, I'm probably making like slow, consistent gains on my lower body still, um, which I just barely focus on. Like I, I sent you some like lag pictures recently, and that's pretty much all the lag pictures that I took like ever. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I just, uh, I'm a real bro. Like I basically, I never even look at my legs. I just make sure that I train them and I try right. to get stronger, but I've, I've, I've only started training legs truthfully maybe like, yeah, like three, four years ago, which I'm super not proud of, but like, yeah, even, even like I already started my YouTube channel and I was doing podcasts and I wasn't, well, <laughs> I, I wasn't really training legs. So I like well, look, dark secrets from my past, but, um, yeah. Um, I have been as an update to my unilateral experimentation. So, um, basically I'm doing only right calf, that it's gotten stronger, but it hasn't, you know, gotten any bigger. And then the last three months I've been adding left arm volume just to see, because my left arm has always been like half an inch smaller. Um, so I've added like, you know, a couple sets here and there, um, or shout out Dr. Jaquish. I've done some like band to failure, uh, assets, <laughs> um, measured them this morning and they were 16 and a quarter left 16 and three quarters, right? So still, mm. still half an inch difference as always. So we'll see, I'll, I'll keep doing a little bit more on left, but, uh, for, for whatever reason, it's, it's always that half an inch difference. So yeah, one thing I wanted to say is, uh, I, I just sent you that calf picture, uh, today and you noted that, um, one calf was significantly more developed than the other. It's like, man, I, so I basically stopped training calves. I haven't trained them now in like maybe uh, basically ever since like, oh man, then a year basically. So yeah, it now is going to be the one year anniversary when the first lockdowns happened here. So, um, so maybe I have to pay attention to how I'm walking from now on. Cause maybe I'm walking harder on one calf than the other, but, uh, but it was really like, but basically they stayed the same. So maybe I can even like send you a picture if you want to cut it in, like how it looked like at the end of my photo shoot, like back in 2019 and how they look now. And at least the calf that's still looks big and there is freaking no difference. And at the time I was training calves, like almost in every session. So wow. have you measured them? Is there a size discrepancy? Uh, no, but I, I will now. Uh, I will, I will, I will let you know, but, but yeah, just like one final thing on the, like the, the, the gains thing. I mean, this is something that, uh, like a lot of people don't factor in, like when they look at, you know, natural bodybuilders who improve their stage weight over time, like such a large part of that is just retaining more muscle on the way down. Yeah. So, right. and, and that, that's something I always had a tendency to do. I think, and I always had this suspicion that I was just wasting away just a little bit too quickly on the way down. 
Like I always bulked up to like a, a decent level. Like I still like wasn't like fat. I was not lean, but I still had like some semblance of def- definition. And my body weight got up to like pretty impressive levels. Like at one point I pushed it up to like almost 95 kilos. And then like it just went down so fast and I was just cutting too too hard. So I don't know. Now I really don't know how heavy could I have been during my photo shoot if I lost weight half as fast like maybe maybe i could have been like two kilos heavier um but i I will never know (laughs) yeah um all right so we'll dive into the questions here so i don't know if i'm saying the guy's name right manoli bergen uh Mm -hmm. he, he basically wanted to know how to program in volume and hypertrophy blocks with low volume strength blocks for bodybuilders Ooh, you start out with this. I need, need some inspiration for this. Um, so the thing is, and I forget who I was just talking to about this, but like when it comes to bodybuilding, I, man, it's not, I hate to get on like the whole, like it doesn't matter train, but I really think that there's like, there's no proof behind the concept that, or there's very minimal proof behind the concept that alternating specific strength blocks with hypertrophy blocks is better for long-term hypertrophy. Now, what people will say is, oh, well, you will get stronger during your strength blocks and then that will allow you to use more weight for your hypertrophy blocks. But it's like, yeah, you will get stronger in terms of like your one rep max will likely go up more from a strength phase with lower reps than if you were to do a high volume or I should say like a higher rep phase. But Strength is also specific to how you train and the rep range you train in. So if you said to me, well, okay, I have whatever, like, you know, certain size chest and I want to get it as big as possible. Then I'd say, okay, well, like if you can double your incline bench for 12 reps, you know, whatever weight you're using now, double that over many years, your chest is going to be a lot bigger. That's to me like going to, it's, you know, we can get a whole thing of like the strength versus hypertrophy thing. But for the most part, that is going to result in a much bigger chest. And I think if you're looking to improve your, let's say, 12 rep max, you would do 12 reps, right? 10 to 15 reps, maybe. I don't think that specifically going down to, like, let's say, five reps is going to increase your 12 rep max more than doing 12 reps. I do think it's a specific. Um, that doesn't mean I don't alternate. I do have a power day, uh, kind of like old school, like Lane Norton fat training. So power hypertrophy, it was adaptation training, I think it was. And uh, I do have a lower rep day and I do have a higher rep day because I do think there are benefits to it. I, you know, there's some evidence to say, okay, you can like maybe hypertrophy the slow twitch versus fast twitch muscle fibers. Um, but my point is just that like from a hypertrophy only standpoint, it's not something that I, I would worry too much about um, other than maybe like on a basic level. Again, like um, there's like daily undulating periodization where each day you go in, you maybe have like, you know, the kind of the classic, there's like a power or strength and a hypertrophy day, but there's a million different ways to do it. My main thing is make sure you are hitting multiple rep ranges. You know, I think anything between like five, even down to three, up to 20 is okay. And then as far as actually developing that, I mean, that would be where I'd probably say like coaching would be involved there. Um, Cause somebody asked me, recently they said like well if we, if we do coaching you know like what will that look like as far as like the how will you program and it's like well that the one of the biggest things to me for a coach is like adjusting as we go along so i couldn't really even tell you well here's your 16 week plan i really don't like that at all 
I might say, well, here's like the next four weeks and let's see how you do from there. And let's see if I think you need to add volume, if I need to, you know, lower the reps, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I don't mean to dismiss the question. I just think there's so many different ways you can go about it. But for somebody listening to this saying, can I, how can I implement it? I would just say, make sure that you are hitting multiple rep ranges. And then last comment is just that the traditional linear periodization was to start higher rep and then gradually decrease the reps <laughs> over time, um, which I think is a fine way to do it, but you do lose some of the adaptations of each phase as you leave that phase and go on to the next one. So personally, I am a fan of kind of hitting each within a week period. Yeah, yeah, that, that's why I, I wasn't sure at first how to answer this because at first I thought that he's talking about incorporating some like powerlifting with his hypertrophy goals. So maybe he wants to prioritize both. But if he just means in the context of a hypertrophy-oriented plan, how should he implement some strength work? I, I would pretty much say the same thing as you did, that you just want to ideally include some heavy work in what you're doing. So when I'm setting up training plans for, for my clients, I usually try to include something in the 80% plus intensity range for more advanced folks up to like 85%. So in that case, the reps might drop as low as five. I Usually I try to not go below five, but sometimes they might go as low as four. And then I will often just recommend them to reduce the load a little bit for subsequent sets to at least keep them above like five reps to not accumulate a ton of not ineffective volume, but per set, maybe a little bit less volume than what would be ideal for muscle growth. And you do that for each major mu muscle group, basically. And then you will reap some of the benefits of heavier training. And that might be better for strength development. How much is that going to benefit muscle growth? I that That's contentious. There is that new study, which um, indicates that you may have seen it that uh, indicates that, you know, doing a strength-specific program prior to training for hypertrophy can be beneficial. That's kind of up in the air. I think it's just, if anything, it might be good to hit muscle fibers in, in different rep ranges and uh, induce maybe some, like, you know, muscle fiber type specific gains. Like, maybe there is some truth to the idea that like some muscles just respond better to heavier loading and other muscles to lighter loading. And since we are not sure, why not include at least some of that? But I would agree with you in general that, you know, getting stronger is 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 important for hypertrophy. If you're getting bigger, you will get stronger. So if you're getting stronger, that's basically the best proxy that we have that you're actually getting bigger. But exactly in which rep range you're getting stronger, does that matter a whole lot? Probably not. So I, I would also doubt that if you're, you know, increasing your three or four rep max, that's going to benefit your 12 rep max later down the line. So, but yeah, I, I would agree with you. Just include some in your program on a weekly basis. And I don't think you have to program in like separate phases for that. I, I, I wouldn't do it personally. Yeah, I, I did see that study. Um, and I think it, I mean, you know, it's a short term study. I think the whole thing was 11 weeks. And the actual difference in the groups was like eight weeks. 
So I don't really know if that tells you a whole lot. Um, and I, I think there was another point about it, how, you know, overall they did less volume and you, you could argue, you know, if volume's not matched, like what, which factor are we really looking at there? So I, I don't, I wouldn't discount this study. I just think it's, it's one short-term study. So, yeah. Um, okay. So TJ asked for, well, he asked for a video on clean eating versus flexible dieting. Um, so mm. he called flexible dieting 10 to 20% of calories coming from junk food. So um, obviously we will condense that here rather than whole video, but as a general principle, this was something that I was always very obsessed with. And I've probably told this story before, but I remember on bodybuilding.com, there was a guy who, I mean, this was probably like, oh, seven, oh, eight. And he was saying, he's like, I can get just as lean on Snickers as I could like oatmeal. And I mean, I just like, it's just amazing how wrong I thought he was. Like, I was like, there's just no way that's possible. And like how confident I was, which is just kind of hilarious in itself. But I was like very confident that there was no way that that was possible. Um, and but of course, it obviously is, is possible. Now, I'm not saying it's the best way to do it for a number of reasons, but certainly you could get very lean just eating really almost any food. Um, as far as how I actually like to incorporate it, I don't like set it out in terms of a certain number of calories or a certain number of meals come from junk food. Again, I fortunately am not somebody who at least most of the year deep into a cut is different. I'm not somebody who tends to have these like strong impulses that I like, you know, I have to fit this in. Um, but I would say that there's no problem with it. I would say something that most people listening are not going to do, but I think you should do is follow your blood markers. So if you have 30% of, I mean, first of all, obviously, if you try to define junk food, I mean, that gets into a whole other thing. But um, let's just say what we would stereotypically call healthy versus stereotypically call like junk food. Even if a decent portion is coming from the junk food, if all of your blood markers are fine and you're a healthy body weight and your progress is going well, I don't think it's this huge deal. You know, um, I, I'd be honest, like I, I think you can get a little too obsessive with making sure that everything is perfect in your macro and micronutrients. I think you want to make sure you're hitting certain marks. But other than that, um, I think it's fine to incorporate, you know, some junk food uh, as long as, again, you're not having negative health consequences from it, which, again, you should not just go by, well, I feel fine. You know, there's, there's certainly more to it than just that. Um, but otherwise, once you've hit like your basic macros and, you know, I think you should have some idea of the micronutrients you're taking in. For most people listening to this, I, I think that's good enough. Yeah, I mean, I would agree pretty much. And also keep in mind that um, that I mean, I, I think that eighty twenty is gen generally a good rule. And also keep in mind that it doesn't have to be on a daily basis. I mean, I'm you know we talked a lot about like cheat cheat meals and cheat days and whatever. But you know, if over the course of a week you like, let's say you eat three thousand calories a day, you know, over the course of the week, that's you know, 20,000 calories. If you want, you know, 10% or 20% of that to come from, you know, some fun foods, you could just have one day when you go out and enjoy yourself a bit. And uh, that's your treat. So that that's also one way of going about it. And um, besides blood work, if you want to keep it cheaper, which don't like do blood work, you know, at least like every couple of months, that would be my recommendation as well. 
but quick you can... plug if you want to use let's get checked use brains code uh 30 off in my description <laughs> no no motherfucker you're using my code which is <laughs> um so uh there is this uh website called chronometer i don't know if you've ever used that but uh it's it's free and um i you may have to register but i, I i've been I haven't even used it for like years and I just went on the site and it remembered my login details. So I guess if once I had a paying subscription, I don't have it anymore. So it's free and you can just plug in your diet and it has a really nice breakdown of different micronutrients and uh, vitamins and stuff. And um, it's actually like you will see that like it's different not... than like my fitness pal or is it kind of I haven't used my fitness pal in ages but like it breaks down like okay this is how much zinc you're getting this is how much vitamin b12 you're getting this is how much folate you're getting like this is how much sugars you're getting this is how much fiber you're getting saturated fat unsaturated fat so it's like fairly comprehensive and um yeah i mean so i plugged in my like cutting diet one time and it was like freaking 300% in everything basically because it's just like all veggies and like quote-unquote clean foods but to just get like a very decent level on like basically all the major micronutrients and vitamins like you really don't have to have a perfect diet like I just tried it out just for fun like what would it be if I plugged in like the most stereotypical in my opinion not very well put together like bodybuilding contest prep diet with like 2,000 calories and it's like rice cakes peanut butter chicken breast whey protein and whatever and still it had a fairly good you know result in terms of how much good nutrition you're getting so yeah um that's interesting because i don't so i don't use my fitness pal even though i know it's like one of the better ones i just i grew up using fit day which like i don't know a single person who uses it anymore but i still do yeah. and that does tell you all your macros and the micros and um, I find, I, I don't find what you find with like the dieting because I guess it's just the sheer amount that I'm eating. Like if I'm bulking or just maintaining, I'm eating like 3,500 calories, then almost everything is like yeah, the percentage wise is like kind of across the board good. When I'm dieting, usually most is in the red. Um, the other thing though, is that I, part of that's because I have a lot of like custom foods. So like if you just buy something from the grocery store it doesn't have every micro listed, right? Yeah. Like it'll maybe have like a couple things, but for the most part, they're not even listed. So it could be vastly underestimating because of that. However, I, I would also guess that a lot of the foods that you just put in, in the system are overestimating it. For example, like if you just put in like broccoli, right? And it would say like, it's got all of these things. And, and but you can look at what, if you buy like frozen broccoli from the store, it might say like, whatever vitamin 20%. And then if you looked yeah. on like fit day or my fitness battle, say like 80%. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, and, and just one last thing to add, and then we can move on, is uh, also always factor in, like, this, 
this is something that's just on top of my mind because I've been dieting for like almost six months <laughs> at this that point. Long? Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, it will be six months in like three weeks, but sounds wow. good. <laughs> um, it's pretty cool. I feel like I've been doing a contest prep, which I haven't, but, uh, cause I started way better, but it's, um, you know, factor in not just whether you can do it and it's still healthy, but also whether something is, is worth it. So often the people who stress about that stuff the most are actually often the people who should probably not be doing too much like if it fits your macros ing at least during that phase of their lives so for example now like i'm even negotiating with myself on things like okay should i be eating carrots in this meal or strawberries because like carrots are 40 calories per 100 grams strawberries are only like 30 so you know in this phase for me probably trying to fit in like a snickers bar would like probably be fairly suboptimal um, so just keep that in mind as well. Yep. All right. So, um, Zobi Wan is this guy's username and I'll just read the whole thing. So I've been going through your podcast, really appreciate it down to earth and well thought out approach and questions. I'm in my mid forties and have recently started to gather information on TRT, lifelong natural, uh, blah, blah, blah. do you think the risk and potential side effects are high with TRT for someone my age? I think I'd want to be conservative with dosage if I ever choose to. The prostate cancer and cardiovascular risks I read about are concerning. Seems like there's two groups of doctors. One prescribes it freely as some magic fix for all problems. The other almost refuses to prescribe it ever, even when the patient has low testosterone level. Yeah, so I'll start with the last point, which was the two different sets of doctors. And yeah, I mean, most doctors won't prescribe it at this point. Um, not really for legitimate reasons. Uh, but they are just, it's just out of their wheelhouse. You know, when they were in med school, it just was really like a fringe thing. Um, there, everybody references this like plus one paper that was out, geez, I don't even know now, five plus years ago that showed increased cardiovascular risk for those on testosterone replacement therapy, which I mean, I hate to just like dismiss a study right off the bat. But if you look at, if you actually read the study, it's like, well, they prescribed it for, I think like 90 days. And then they showed more cardiovascular risk in people prescribed testosterone replacement therapy, but they don't list the dose. They just, they, a lot of times they gave them like long acting testosterone. They didn't measure their estrogen levels. So it, it's like, how do you, you literally just like gave these people testosterone. You didn't do follow up and blood work. Uh, you, you didn't uh, triage them to see like what their risks were beforehand. And uh, I just think that's a really poor way to go about it. And, and I, I don't think that the average general practitioner should just be prescribing people testosterone. You know, I, I think they don't have enough knowledge on it. And, and just to say, well, here's some testosterone. Uh, what's what's normal? I guess 200 milligrams a week. Here you go. With no follow up is ridiculous. And the average person uh, will probably forget to do certain dosing. Um, they're, they're just not going to keep up with it. So I think they should be hesitant because the average person is just and, and also you're not you're like discounting other factors. So if you say, well, you know, I kind of, I mean, there are people who, who prescribe testosterone and a lot of the people in this study and they didn't even have baseline testosterone levels. They just went on feeling, well, I have a low libido or I'm having a hard time getting it up or whatever. And it's like, are you kidding? Like, like that's just so not the proper way to go about it. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, so, you know, if you are overweight, your sleep sucks, you're stressed at work and all these other things, then 
I think there's a lot you should do before getting testosterone replacement therapy. There is a well-known TRT doctor who basically says that anybody over like 30 should be on TRT and would feel better on TRT, which is like just totally mind-boggling to me because I, I just I just like how how can you rationalize that when there are very there are the many people in their 40s and 50s who have totally normal levels of testosterone and this isn't even going into the potential reasons that lower testosterone over time can be beneficial um and i'm not i'm definitely not saying you want like low testosterone but i definitely don't think everybody should be at the higher range all the time um you know they're I'm mean, again that's it's a whole other thing but um so that's that's the one camp and then there's the other camp i guess that i already started to talk about which are the people who will just anybody comes in oh here's 200 milligrams a week of testosterone which i also think is flawed because a lot of these doctors will give you the dose again not follow up that much they will measure testosterone levels at the end of like let's say they do it once a week they'll measure it right before your next injection so you have these peaks and troughs and they want you at like the high or even above normal levels at the lowest point so it's like these people are walking around on trt and their range is like 1200 to 1800 nanograms per deciliter and it's like i'm not going to say that like that's going to kill you but sign me up <laughs> yeah i mean it's just it's just not testosterone replacement therapy and it's ridiculous to call that if you want to call it testosterone optimization i, I guess you could call it that but i mean it's, it's just it's just a way to basically do a low dose cycle i mean to me two to three hundred milligrams that some of these people are prescribing that's a small cycle you know i mean true testosterone replacement therapy for most people and obviously this is going to depend on sex hormone binding globulin this is going to depend on um you know amount of androgen receptors in terms of your response to it but i mean and how quickly you're metabolizing it right but for most people if you truly want to be middle to high end of the range you're going to be probably on like 100 to 150 milligrams per week um and, and there are some like good endocrinologists out there but yeah you, you do see people on on both sides uh so to get to the the um aspect of prostate cancer and cardiovascular risk i actually do think that um dr thomas o'connor is a good reference for this you know i mean he, he people say he's a little quirky and i mean i, th I think he is but i, I a bit do dramatic yeah yeah and you know and he can fear monger a little bit but he's you know he's this is what he does and and i think he is one of the more knowledgeable people i've had him on the podcast i think once or twice and that was a pretty good episode um but he is a knowledgeable guy and i think he's more of a reasonable guy in terms of saying like he doesn't want people to be going on steroids he doesn't want to facilitate people going on steroids he tries to help people get off of steroids and he I think he probably, I don't know what he prescribes people in terms of dose, but I, I would imagine given everything he says that he, he is much more moderate. Something that he says that I've heard before is that um, testosterone does not cause prostate cancer, but if you have existing prostate cancer, it will um, hasten the growth of it, which to me is kind of like, well, it's, it's basically like causing it because when you think about it, like almost all men who die above like 80 will have some level of prostate cancer like for the most part like if you live long enough as a man you're going to have prostate cancer and so to say well it doesn't cause it but it, it enhances the growth of it it's like well but everybody's going to have some of it anyway so in a way it is almost causing it. it i mean it's still the same end problem is that something that wasn't a problem with your prostate is now a problem so to me 
that that's a legitimate concern. Um, the cardiovascular risks, you know, you can find studies showing that it improves cholesterol, that it's a detriment to cholesterol, that it improves cardiovascular mortality, that it, it harms it. I don't think that it's conclusive at this point. However, I think if you have normal levels of testosterone with it and your estrogen is controlled and you have normal levels of dihydrotestosterone and, and other markers are normal, I think that it's probably fine. Um, you know, maybe if you had a big enough, you know, well-powered study, you'd find some differences. But, but again, how many people listening really need TRT? Like, I, I mean, I, I remember taking um, deaspartic acid and now newer studies are showing that it's actually, uh, I mean, I think there's only really like three or four studies on it, but everybody thought it was going to be like the big thing, right? And for you me, know, like and actually- Decreases or some shit, right? Well, one the, the latter studies showed that it did decrease it. Now I had a friend who took it within like a complex of things and he, his levels were like 900. And when I took it, my levels were like, I want to say six to 700. Um, and like the last time I tested, I think they were like 450. But like, I just, again, with, within the normal range there, you're not going to notice that much of a difference. So I would really say only take TRT if you really need it. Um, now, one, one little rant here is that I do always find it funny when, and I think I've said this to you, Abel, was that like when people will, they like want to take steroids, but they'll say like, well, but like, you know, I don't want to have to like inject myself for the rest of my life you know and they'll say like it's like this annoying thing and it's like dude like that is now again people who have listened to this podcast long enough know that i've been like nuts with the amount of things i've tried and done and would be willing to do and so like when i hear that i'm like dude there are a lot of reasons not to use steroids like a lot of reasons <laughs> but if your reason like you go to the gym hours and hours every week you spend so much time making food eating food making sure you have optimal sleep and like a two second injection once a week is your reason for not doing it like you're just a pussy <laughs> like like i just like honestly like there's so many reasons i would say not to do it but like if that's your reason like do you brush your teeth every day like do you take showers like all of these things are just things that you do you know, for your body and your health that take way longer than like, a, you know, probably what takes like 30 seconds for an injection. So obviously I, I'm not advocating. I'm just saying that like, if that's your reason that, that I find that ridiculous, but I, I really yeah. do think that people should only go on testosterone replacement therapy if they have really weighed it out. And, uh, you know, they talk to a doctor, they've had blood work, probably at least two sets of blood work to confirm that you have truly low testosterone. And then, yeah, living with low testosterone is not great. It's not great psychologically. It's not great physiologically. Um, but I, I think nowadays, I mean, I, I, I'm like, I'm happy to work with my clients who are on TRT, but I've actually been surprised by the number of them who are on TRT. Um, and I do, it does seem to be more and more prevalent. And there's nothing wrong with TRT at all. Um, so it's not meant to be like judgmental about it. But I, I do think a lot of people should just be more cautious. And, you know, my friend Steve, I talk about he, uh, his friend went on TRT for like seven years and then he just decided to go off of it. And he was like totally fine. Like literally levels at like 500, 600. And he just, he just didn't do it. I mean, he just didn't need it. And he went on for seven years. So I, I think it's something to be. Yeah, or, or just be honest with yourself. If you, like, if you want to go on TRT, but you're not, maybe you're just personally not interested in anything less than two to 300 milligrams. Like, 
uh, that's fine, but like you don't have to call it TRT, just call it what it is. <laughs> yeah, so, right. So Brandon says, hey Dave, got a question for you. I'm currently one week post ulnar nerve surgery, two to three months of recovery and rehabbing a bulging lumbar disc. I've obviously lost muscle and probably gained a little fat. Once I get back to training, what should I do with my calories? Cut or bulk or maintain? You want me to go or you want me to go? So he has, um, so he herniated a disc or something and he's wondering whether he should cut or bulk or maintain. Well, I think the bigger question is more like once he's recovered, should he? Yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I'm focusing less on like the specific injury and more like when you're coming back from a layoff, uh, what should you do? That's how I interpret it. Yeah. I mean, so one answer, which is not going to be obviously my final answer, because that would be <clears throat> a very cop out ish, but uh, there is. The real answer is it basically doesn't matter because whatever you will do will basically work as if you were on steroids for those first couple of weeks, one or two months where you get back into the groove of things uh, because you're just so fresh for stimulus, especially if you had a good amount of muscle before, you're just going to regain everything super quickly. Uh, but the little bit more helpful answer is it really depends, I would say, on what happened to your body comp while you had that layoff. So if you were really lean before and maybe you kind of just accidentally or just the way you tend to interact with food got even leaner while you were not training, then probably going into a small surplus is going to help. If you piled up quite some fat while you were taking time off, then probably go into, I'm, I'm just going to say do a recomp. But a recomp in reality means in 99.9999% of cases actually going into a deficit. And you also happen to put on a decent amount of muscle as you're leaning out. So, I mean, basically, it's the same as in the case of any kind of cut or bulk question, which is, you know, just look at your body. Like, are you fatter than you would want to be then go into a cut if you're lean, like already lean as lean as your kind of ideal dream physique but you just don't have enough muscle then go into a gaining phase and then for like the skinny fats kind of individuals or who would classify themselves as such it's a little bit more difficult but oftentimes my answer then is look if you cut if you get leaner then you're gonna look more like what you want to eventually look in the shorter term because a lean physique with not as much muscle is probably still better than a fatter physique with not as much muscle. So, um, so yeah, basically that's my answer. Do do with that what you will. <laughs> well, no, I mean, and you mentioned the like the injury part of it, and that that is a factor. I mean, one of my female clients right now had an injury, and so it, during that time, she's like, well, you know, what should I do? And yeah, I, I didn't really want her bulking or cutting during that time. It was just kind of like maintained for the time being. Um, I mean, can you recomp a little bit just getting back to, to some training? Yeah, um, but I'd still put the calories probably at about maintenance at that point. And then once you're actually fully back into it, I mean, most people who like, like just the average person who is training, they're just kind of eating whatever. And when they come back from a layoff, whether it's due to injury or just not training, 
they gain a lot of that muscle back and some of them even lose fat. So um, I, I think for the most part, those who are coming back at least a month personally, I'd say, dude, like just get back to working out. Um, I think a lot of that, yes, there's, there's gonna be muscle gain, of course, but there's also gonna be like the neurological strength gains. I just don't see the need for a big surplus. I mean, unless you're like really, like if you lost a ton of weight, like now you're just like skinny, then that's one thing. But most people, when they have a layoff, they actually do tend to gain a little bit of fat, like this person mentioned, uh, and they've lost quite a bit of muscle. So in that case, I would just maintain. Um, but I think like to your point, like, yeah, if you've gotten really in one way or the other, like you've gotten really skinny, sure, you can obviously go more of a surplus. If you've gotten quite overweight during your layoff, then yeah, go into a deficit. Um, I'm, you know, this person's talking about like two to three months. So in that time, hopefully you didn't fall off the wagon too much. In which case, I would just say eat at maintenance for a little while, and then whatever your goals were before that, just kind of go smoothly back into that phase. Um, I don't think it has to be this like, you know, you have to just upend your entire plan of what you're doing. I think you can get back into it relatively quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's also, as a coach, it's it would always be a little bit difficult because like you almost feel forced to put the person on some sort of like a set calorie plan. But it's almost like in these instances, it's it's easier to just remotely advise someone and just tell them like, look, just eat a nutritious, healthy diet and let your calories fall, fall where they may. Because at this point, like you will kind of intuitively, if, if you're starting to build up a bunch of muscle, your appetite will increase naturally. And if you don't, then maybe you will just kind of hover around close to a maintenance intake. But you almost cannot really go wrong. It's almost like, what would you advise for a complete newbie who just gets into lifting to do with their calories? It's like, man, just eat. Just eat protein, eat a lot of fruits and veggies, train, and like things will fall into, into place anyway. So just keep that in mind as well. All right, so that wraps up my questions. Anybody who wants to continue with the Q&A, head over to Abel's channel and we'll answer some more there.